Happy Tuesday, friends. How's everybody doing? I hope everybody's doing great. I always say that, but I really do hope that everyone's doing well, taking care of yourself. It's around that time of parent-teacher conferences, and Jamie and I have a great episode on parent-teacher conferences if you want to do a little re-listen to that one. I'm so excited about this episode today. Oh my gosh, I just can't gush enough about what a fun conversation I had with this amazing woman. I have Diane Nickerson on the podcast today. She is the director of the Castle Island Bilingual Montessori School in Albany, New York. She has her AMS administrator credential from the Center of Montessori Education in New Rochelle. Castle Island opened in 2012. They opened with just six children. And now they are a well-established school and children are thriving with independence, confidence, and a bilingual environment. We get into this really great conversation all about how Montessori is very well suited for a bilingual experience. We also talk about love of language, learning another language, how uncomfortable it can feel to learn another language, and then rediscovering new concepts in a different way. And we basically just start gushing about Montessori for about 20 minutes. (laughs) I really enjoyed this conversation and I really think you will too. So I hope you enjoy this awesome interview with Diane Nickerson of Castle Island Bilingual Montessori. I want to give a shout out to our patrons. Thank you everybody for helping to support all things Montessori. I really couldn't do it without you. And I literally mean that I could not do it without you. If you are a patron, there's some new bonus episodes on the Patreon page that you should go check out. If you want to become a patron, like our amazing patrons, you can head on over to patreon.com. It's super easy to sign up. You can select a donation level and there's tons of fun things that come with being a patron member of all things Montessori. So thank you guys so much. And If you haven't already, you can check out our website. I've started a blog on the website and what my goal is, it is to have a corresponding blog to every single episode of All Things Montessori. I love taking in information as an auditory experience with a podcast, but I know that not everybody's like that. So I really wanted to have a written and a visual element. So anybody who wants any information about All Things Montessori can have access to it. And go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram if you haven't already. I really appreciate the support and this community is so amazing. As always, if you have any questions, if you know of somebody that you think might be a great guest on the podcast, go ahead and send me an email at allthingsmontessoripod at gmail.com. I would absolutely love to hear from you and um, enjoy this awesome episode. I'm so excited today. I have a guest with me who is in another country right now, which is something we're going to talk about. I have Diane Nickerson with me. She is the director of Castle Island Bilingual Montessori School up in Albany, New York. And we're going to talk all things bilingual and all things Montessori today. So welcome, Diane. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much, Rachel. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah. So, well, why don't you tell everybody where you are right now? (laughs) Hmm. I have the lucky opportunity to visit Mexico this week with my third son, who's 14. His best friend's family decided to move to Mexico for a year. So we're in Guanajuato, which is in the very center of the country. It's a historic colonial city. 
um, which is a, sort of like a national treasure in Mexico. So it's a tourist attraction for people from throughout Latin America. And there's a giant festival going on this week with um, concerts of songs and dance and, and theater. It's really fabulous. We're also going to be able to be here Monday and Tuesday for Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead. And we couldn't be more excited. Plus my, my son so just cool. really wants to hang out hard with his friend on PlayStation and that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> How old is he? 14. 14. Yeah. I was going to say that sounds like a 14 year old that, that, that tracks. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> They're super so, excited because his friend is invited to a quinceanera. It's like a sweet 16 party in yeah. North America for 15 year old girls. And it's more like a wedding reception. It's a really big deal party. And so they're going to go tomorrow. And, and so it's a brilliant experience for him. Oh, that's so cool. So let's talk about uh, what brought you to Montessori and what's your Montessori background. I would love to know what your Montessori story is. Both of my parents were public school teachers. They were junior high teachers, math and home ec across from Hall. They met each other and got married during Aww. a wave of retirements in our community where over a three year time period, pretty much every teacher in um, a public school district where we lived in upstate New York, Rome, New York, um, they were all fresh hires. So <laughs> all of their friends were teachers and all of my friends growing up were their friends' children. So I was a third grader before I knew you could be an adult and not be a teacher. Mm. So becoming a teacher was just completely ingrained in me. It was the only thing I ever wanted to do. I loved myself as a child. I loved other children. I thought childhood was wonderful and interesting, even as a child. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I went to college. I got a New York State teaching certificate and um, also lived for a couple years in the Dominican Republic. So I acquired Spanish while teaching in an American school. I taught a second grade class. And I came back to the United States and got a public school job. And then I had my own children and things were going really well. <laughs> Everything I wanted was happening. And I was, an, you know, according to my supervisors, I was an excellent teacher and I believed them. And I did studies on um, Howard Gardner and multiple intelligences mm -hmm. and brain research and all the best ways to learn. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I thought I knew what I was doing, right? With good reason. Sure. You know, I was externally evaluated as doing a good job. And when I had my own children and my oldest was two or three, I was looking for the quote unquote best school for him. You know, I was working in a district, a public school district that was regionally known as the best. Yeah. <laughs> and when I went to observe their pre-K, I was pretty dismayed. And um, at that point, my father had retired from public school, was working in Catholic school, and he invited me to come and see I didn't grow up Catholic, but I thought it was nice because they talked about love and that was something sort of off the table in public schools. Mm. The uniforms were adorable, but you know, they were still all sitting at the same little table with the worksheet, coloring it in the same. I'm like, this is not good for the brain. <laughs> so I was really at a loss and this was several years ago. Um, so I had a computer with internet and I did an Ask Jeeves search because Google didn't yeah. exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> there were web pages, not just websites. There were, you know, it's just web page. And a web page came up with a black and white photo of Maria Montessori in two paragraphs, mm -hmm. maybe a total of 10 sentences. And every half a sentence checked off every checkbox for me. You know, what's good for children, human development, scientifically based, the community, the whole child, your own pace. All of the Montessori attendants were there. And I couldn't believe that I didn't really know about it. So I found a school, it was an hour away, went to visit their open house, which happened to be that weekend. 
And the first thing I touched in the environment was the knob cylinders. It was a, it was a really special moment. Yeah. That I remember it very clearly to this day. Um, and there was an assistant teacher who was standing near me who said things like, I see you found the brown stairs. <laughs> I'm like, yes. And in fact, it looks like I have. <laughs> and, you know, I just got it right away. I didn't even see children in the environment, but it just clicked for yeah. me so much. It made so much sense. And I was really, um, this poor, sweet assistant teacher is maybe 25 years old. I wanted to shake her and say, well, I'm told school is like this. I don't understand. She's like, I don't know. I just work here. <laughs> it's not your fault. So they invited me to do a classroom visit during school hours. And so, you know, three days later, I was back. I observed their early childhood, Lower L and Upper L. And so the things I saw there, they're really, I don't think English words describe what I felt. But I can tell you that I went into the director's office afterwards and she said, what questions do you have for me? And I opened my mouth to speak because I had so many and I couldn't even find words to articulate. Just tears are rolling down my cheeks. I'm like, I thought I knew children. That was Aww. my work. It's been my work. It's been my important work to know children. I didn't know children could be like mm. this. And so now I know I don't know children yeah. <laughs> and I must learn about them actually. And also my own children need this. And if I could please, please somehow have a career in a Montessori environment, I would be so blessed for the rest of my life. So wow. <laughs> that was my Montessori awakening. And I picked up my family and moved us an hour in the other direction where there was a public Montessori school, a private Montessori school and some Montessori preschools around, but many more Montessori options. The thing was, um, I'm divorced now, but my husband at the time, you know, he had a decent professional job. I had a decent professional job as a teacher. You know, together we made, I don't know, like $140,000, $150,000. We had four children. We just couldn't afford the tuition of private sure. school. And it felt so unfair to me. Like, I found the best thing. I've been a good American citizen. I got good grades. I've done everything I've been told to do. I, I am a good professional. And I can't afford what I know is good for my children. Right. And it just really hurt my feelings. Oh, yeah. Um, and so there was a public Montessori school lottery. And at the very last minute, my oldest going into first grade got into the lottery. It's the public Montessori school. And I was on their shared decision-making um, committee. They called the BLT, Building Leadership Team. There are no sandwiches there. It's very disappointing. <laughs> nice. And I, I helped them rewrite their handbook. I observed a lot. I talked to the teachers a lot. And their program was self-described as um, a blended Montessori program um, constrained by district and state mandates for curriculum and testing. So in other words, after they did their Pearson workbook pages with whole group instruction, if they finished them, then they could touch hands-on materials, Montessori materials. And if they didn't finish, they couldn't go out to recess. Gotcha. They had spelling tests with the scores on the wall. They had spelling homework, all these things. Yeah. <laughs> and my, my children were not quote unquote thriving. My son is not a speller, for example, and got a 40 was a good grade for him oh. if he got any of them correct. And, you know, he's trying to suffer through homework packets in the evenings and biting his arm until they bled because he was so frustrated mm. and not going outside for recess. And that wasn't okay. I rearranged my whole life for him to go to this school. And so from encouragement from friends and family, they, you know, like, hey, Diane, you know, you're so passionate about this. Why not start your own school? Yeah. So you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you have AMS training, is that right? I do. Yeah. It was done at Center for Montessori Training of New York in New Rochelle. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, how was your training experience? Mm. So upstate New York, you know, everybody thinks of New York as New York City. Upstate New York is sort of provincial. Yeah. Montessori is not known, much less well-known. It's not even known most of the time. Yeah. Some people want to know why I want to work in a monastery, for example. It's not known. <laughs> so I was thrilled initially just to be in a community sitting with there about 38 people in my cohort plus trainers Mm-hmm. Um, so that there was no explaining that needed to be done and you could take it to the next level and, and learn and go deeply and think thoughts. I think I was mostly, I'd never been in a Montessori community before. Yeah. So it, and, and the thing that struck me the most was the eye contact that people made and that when you finished a sentence, everyone was still making eye contact without making a reactionary comment. And then I realized I had more to say. <laughs> and so I'd, I'd throw out another half phrase and people would just nod and smile. And I'm like, okay, well, I could explain this more deeply. Okay, I've never been given an audience where I could think my thoughts so fully. And the yeah. feeling of peace and depth was just really profound. It is profound. I love how you called it a Montessori awakening. I had a very similar experience where I just kind of had a gut reaction, sat down and was like, I'm going to go get Montessori training. And then like I did, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's sort of, it, it lights a fire in your soul, just like the children, like when they're in the classroom, it just works for you. So that's such an awesome story. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that you open your own school. That is no small feet. So what inspired you to do a bilingual Montessori program? Uh, when I finished college, I ended up living in the Dominican Republic for a couple of years and I acquired Spanish. Um, my children's father is Dominican and a native Spanish speaker. And it was important okay. to us um, because it's part of the children's culture, but also because we both like languages that they learn and acquire Spanish as much as possible. It's really challenging when you're in a monolingual culture to maintain that. So we decided to adopt a highly disciplined model of having, you know, a household bubble of Spanish. So our household was 100% Spanish, which means, you know, I didn't grow up as a Spanish speaker. So I had to learn all of the lullabies. lullabies. Of course, you can buy books, you know, and I can just read them and learn about them. But to learn all the lullabies and all all of the little games and chants you sing and and what do you say, you know, in English, you get a boo-boo and you kiss and make it better. In Spanish, you have the butt of a frog and you say, sana, sana, culito de rana, sana, 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 mañana. I learned all the things that you say. Yeah. Um, And all of our television cartoons were in Spanish and um, dubbed movies. I learned I watched Shrek in Spanish I didn't really realize it was Michael Mike Myers who was in in um in the comedian (laughs) donkey wow yeah I didn't realize who those characters were because in me they're Spanish voices forever (laughs) so yeah anyway it would have been great for them to go to a Spanish-speaking school that's not really a choice in upstate New York there is one Uh dual language program again lottery based and it's like near impossible to get in sure so when we started the school you know, why not make it everything that we wanted? We wanted fully implemented monastery and we wanted bilingual. And in my training, I had learned that, you know, of course, around the world, there are more than 22,000. Is that the current number? More than 22,000, maybe 23,000 monastery schools. Um, And I would say most, probably more than half are bilingual. I mean, everywhere else in the world, languages are 
learn to acquire it. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. I feel very strongly that the Montessori model is wonderful as we all know it is for all the reasons. Um, it's also the perfect vehicle for second language acquisition because <laughs> it is a wonderful, loving, warm environment. So something we, we say in language acquisition of affect, in other words, like you're not nervous, you're feeling comfortable, right? There's a low affect yeah. in the Montessori environment. And um, there's two teachers in the classroom. So you can have one that speaks and teaches in one language and the other teacher in the other language, and they can stay in those languages most of the time. And you have hands-on materials. So the meaning is made concrete, the conceptual meaning of like, this is a triangle, this is a circle, sure. But also in Spanish, there's no question that we're talking about triangle right now. (laughs) Yeah. Talking about push your chair in after you had snack. We're talking about triangle for sure. Sure. Um, But when, and then the three period lesson is a perfect um, scaffold for language acquisition where you're not forcing production. Instead, Mm -hmm. you're just listening to the repetition of triangulo, triangulo. Circulo, circulo. And then, you know, show me so I can point without having to produce language, triangle, circle. And then what is the shape? ¿Cuál es esta forma? Triangulo. Great. <laughs> you know, now you can say triangulo. And then Montessori is individualized, right? Everything is personalized. The right. academic lessons, but also, you know, good morning, Rachel. It's so lovely to see you. I like the glasses that you're wearing today. It's when, when language is personalized to you and there's some emotion tied to it, then language is acquired in your long-term memory, which is what acquisition means versus learning, which means memorizing for the quiz on Friday, right? Right. Which is how, right. you know, 99% of us in America learned how to learn a language in high school, right? Yeah. We learned the rules and we learned for the quiz on Friday. It didn't right. mean anything to us personally. But nope, in a survival. classroom, right, just through say, you know, it's time for you to get your lunch from your cubby. It's time, please push in your chair. Right. You have all these repetitions, right, but they, they mean something. Yeah. And then, of course, we have songs and stories and, and all of that really rich vocabulary um, helps to support their language development. So I think it's, it's near perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I think it is a perfect environment for language acquisition. And I mean, I, I felt like that, but hearing you speak about it again, you know, the Montessori classroom itself, the environment is a lot of what the teaching is just being in the classroom, being in the environment around those materials. Like, I mean, it's Maria Montessori said it like, you know, we're just the guide. We're just like the avenue to help the child, you know, use the materials or like the materials are doing the work. For you, you know, obviously being a Montessori teacher is extremely difficult because you have to hold back. You have to be patient. You have to observe. Mm-hmm. But I can see how that immersion being in a language environment like that, plus having it be a Montessori styled environment, mm-hmm. how that would be really beneficial for especially young children, because young children, as we know, are sponges. They're just completely like sensory. They absorb everything. So it's an amazing gift that you're giving these children. And I'm sure the parents are feeling the same way. I'm, I'm assuming that um, you probably have some children come in who are come from like a bilingual home, Mm -hmm. but probably not the majority. That's my assumption though. Mm -hmm. We're in our 10th year and um, in the early years, most of our families were English dominant and we have every year more and more families who are Spanish dominant. Um, We always have a good percentage of families who um, 
one parent has a Hispanic background and the other parent doesn't. Um, so there's maybe some Spanish in the home and lots of English in the home. We yeah. have a good contingency of families who one or both parents are Hispanic or have Hispanic backgrounds. And there's this sort of level of um, yearning um, and a mild level of guilt that like my grandmother speaks Spanish and I don't. Right. Of course. <laughs> I feel a little weird about that. And my grandmother says things when we go to visit. And so I would really would mean a lot to my family if my child could speak Spanish. And I can see that. It's, yeah. it's evolving. I want to be optimistic that it's evolving in our culture to see that bilingualism, multilingualism is a gift. It's not something yeah. that holds you back. It's not something to be embarrassed about or worried that your child will be bullied about. I hear that still as a concern in conversations out in the world, you, you know, even in the Hispanic world. We had the great, um, great honor this fall. I mean, it's still only October. We were interviewed um, by the regional Univision reporter. Um, so the, you know, the international television channel of Univision. And one of the questions that um, the reporter asked me was, aren't families worried that their children will be bullied if they learn Spanish? <laughs> this wow. is coming from a Latino perspective. And I thought that was really, that was something. I did not anticipate that question. <laughs> I'm surprised that it's still a concern, but it's still a concern. I mean, I remember growing up, I had a lot of friends who I had a friend who was Polish and then I had a friend from Pakistan and I remember going over to their houses and I mean, their parents, you know, barely spoke English. And I mean, I did not care, but I remember them being so embarrassed by that. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking it was so cool right? because it was so different than what I had. Mm -hmm. But I think that's, that is, I have seen that just in my own experience. And then, you know, I remember um, when I was in the, at my the school that I, they worked at previously before I moved, I had three children. They came in speaking fluent French, fluent. They didn't speak any English and they didn't have any French by the time they were in elementary with me. Mm. And I think it's because they wanted to adapt and fit in and, you know, <laughs> speak English. And, and I think that's where that desire comes from. Uh, but it does make me really sad. And I, I do think it's getting less, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just this weird sort of tendency to be anything that's different is bad, <laughs> you know? So then being in a bilingual and a school that is promoting it, that's just going to serve them further in life, I think. And it is cool. Are you kidding? I wish that I knew a second language. I kind of knew Italian for like a year and then I completely dropped it because I didn't keep up with it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, anyway. I mean, what we know about one of the wonderments about Montessori is that each child is a light, each child is unique, each human adult is unique. And that's wonderful. Yeah, that's honored. That's special. And, you know, they're being different, you know, quote unquote, different. We're all, you know, right. yeah, we're all different. We should be. <laughs> that's I agree. Good, that's the good part. And um, while you were speaking, the word belonging came mm -hmm. to mind. And yeah. I noticed very recently that, you know, the recent movement of diversity, equity, inclusion, then mm -hmm. I was seeing social justice added on. Now I'm seeing rather than social justice belonging being added on to the, the nomenclature of that 
movement. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And yeah. you know, that's human psychology too, you know, whether it's modern days or primitive days of humanity, belonging is rooted in our, in our psychology. And we know also that as much as parents, especially, but all adults, especially in schools, we want to feel that we are important influencers of our children. And we are to some extent. Yeah. However, our peers, especially the ones that are just a little bit older and wiser and, and more experienced than us, are the biggest influencers on us. So when the three-year-olds come in, they want to be like the four-year-olds and the four-year-olds want to be like the five-year-olds and the five-year-olds are looking up to the lower O's. Right. If they speak English and only English and they want to be like them. I think yeah. that's the main factor. Absolutely. I mean, we're all looking up and looking at role models and mm -hmm. looking ahead. Sorry, right. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, the more that we have Spanish dominant families in our school, the more it's, you know, cool or just normalized. Yeah. You know, this is part of what we do. We come to school, we wear a backpack. We come to school and we pack a lunch. We come to school and we change our shoes to inside shoes. We right. Come, <laughs> we come to school and we wear a mask. These are just things that we do at school. And at our yeah. school, we come to school and sometimes we speak in Spanish and sometimes we speak in English. It's just a thing we do at our school. Right. So it's becoming more normalized at our school and not oh, something that's weird or I just want to speak in English because it's cooler and I'll, I'll belong more to my peer group. No, you're right. I mean, just having those sort of, it's like life standards or like that normalcy, like this is just what we do at this school. And then especially when children are entering at a young age, it, they don't question it because it's just the way that it is. And then mm -hmm. that just continues and continues. I think I shared with you and we spoke before about um, the school that I worked for. We were also Spanish immersion, but not, um, I mean, the assistants in each classroom spoke Spanish and the younger classrooms were fantastic with Spanish, but me in the elementary, something just sort of, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure who, what happened, but with their reasoning mind, when they open, when they enter the second plane of development, they are, they just want to know the why. So for our experience, and I don't speak Spanish. I think if I was bilingual, this would have been a completely different scenario because they saw me speaking English to them. And then I would speak English to the assistant who then would only speak Spanish to them. And they were like, we know she speaks English. Like you can't fool us. So then they were like little tricksters with their reasoning minds, which I don't blame them for, but I do reflect on that experience on, you know, how we could have capitalized on that more because what we did, we just ended up making elementary Spanish lessons, making it part of the curriculum rather than the immersion aspect. And mm -hmm. that totally worked fine, but mm -hmm. I think it could have been better. So I'm curious how your elementary students do with um do with spanish um because i'm sure it was better than what i was doing <laughs> yeah well again i really feel strongly that it's human nature to search out the path of least resistance and maybe yes. as adults we're, we're not as good at it but children are very good at it yes right? you know this is fun you're doing the fun thing <laughs> right right um this is easier i'm doing the easy thing you know and adults were like well i have to taxes are due april 15th so it's april 14th so this is not fun but right. i have to do it and i'm gonna just do it tonight so there you go <laughs> um yeah but they're very good at finding the path of least resistance so it's it's not a surprise to me at all that they looked at your assistant and like Hey, I need help with my math. And I'm saying this in English team right now. Yep. 
Totally. Well, on the other hand, as Montessorians, we encourage children to do hard things. Yeah. You know, we, and all, all those words, we encourage them. We believe in them. We know they can do addition of fractions. We know they can do the division twos. We know they can study the timeline of life. We know they sure. can absorb the five great lessons. And we know they can have a weekly work plan that they help design and work through and choose materials and pick their own time. And we're presenting them with the math area. We don't have to. I mean, we probably wouldn't exist as a school for very long, but we're choosing that as adults, <laughs> right? Right. And as adults, we're choosing a bilingual program for our children. We know they can do it. We know sometimes it's not the path of least resistance, but we know they right. can do hard things. So it does take the brain a sec, you know, a couple more seconds to say, okay, I need help in math. Okay. Um, necesito ayuda con mi lección de matemáticas por favor. Okay, it took you an extra couple seconds. So I'm asking you to take those seconds. Right. Because the expectation here is with this assistant, with, you know, whoever, with Susie, you're going to speak in Spanish. Right. That's the expectation. In our class, it's our expectation that you're going to change your shoes. It's our expectation that you're going to interrupt by putting your hand on someone's shoulder. And so we just hold it as an expectation. This is part of what we do at our school. Yeah. You know, they're going to be real resistant and have a conversation like, well, listen, your your parents chose this school for you. Let's have a conversation with your parents about that. <laughs> you can do Spanish. You're doing great. Yeah. You know, and if they're discouraged, if there's a reason, like maybe they just entered our school as a first grader. Sure. That's way more challenging for them. Absolutely. Of course, if they haven't been here. This isn't their fourth year. You know, like, well, it takes time, you know, and I. I'm queen of analogies. I find analogy for anyone. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I, I noticed you just learned to ride a bicycle. You know, let's let's review how that went for you. Were you riding the bicycle on the first day? <laughs> what were the steps? <laughs> you know, but now you can, and now you don't think about it. Now you put your feet on the pedals, your hands on the handlebars, and you go. You don't think about it. Spanish will be like that for you too. Mm. but at first you have to do a lot of coordinating and thinking and it seems impossible that you'll be able to balance and go and turn and stop it seems impossible but you can do it I remember when I was learning Italian I was living in Italy and I spoke to my Italian teacher about how I was having a really hard time just I was like I'm talking in Italian or hearing someone talk in Italian. And then in my brain, I'm translating it, translating it all to English. And I'm really exhausted. I'm having a hard time. And he said something to me that completely like blew my mind. And he said, you need to let go of English. Stop translating it in your head. You're learning Italian. You're speaking Italian. English isn't included. And I remember being like, oh, and it, it really helped. And I, I was just moved by what you said about the bicycle. There's like an aspect of letting go and trusting when you're learning to ride a bike. And I think it's the same with English or no, sorry. It's the same with learning another language. It's you have to kind of, it's like, it's really uncomfortable and like feels weird. And I don't know. And you're, you're feeling vulnerable, but if you just let go and trust that, yeah, you have been immersed in this language for however long now, and yeah, you're probably going to mess up and you might pronounce it wrong and you might say the wrong word, but you know, in a Montessori environment, it's a forgiving place. You're, you're okay to make mistakes there. So <laughs> it's just like that aspect of letting go. And then what you were saying, being consistent and holding the expectation that this is a bilingual program. This is what we do. 
And I just, that's so inspiring to me. <laughs> yeah. So you just reminded me that of course, in a Montessori costume, you can, and you will, and you should make mistakes. That's the whole yes. point. I mean, that's the materials the in the primary classroom that are self-correcting, you need that you're going to make errors. Yeah. <laughs> the, the error factor is built in. Um, and I'm here visiting my friends from Albany, New York, who are living here. So um, the woman of the household is taking daily Spanish lessons for, for foreigners. Mm. And uh, I was just helping her with her homework before I came up. And she's very concerned about she's doing past tense of imperfect versus preterite. And when do I use it? And I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, the descriptions you have here for when are accurate. But also it like doesn't matter <laughs> right? because if somebody needs clarification, they're just going to ask you just like we ask in English, you know, and you, the mistakes don't matter so much. The first time you rode the bike and terrified that you're going to fall in like to your, you know, mortal <laughs> injury. <laughs> right. I remember falling. I was so scared and it was fine. I fell on the grass. It didn't really hurt that bad. And then you got up and you tried it. Again. And then you try again. Uh, so true. And, and six-year-olds versus three-year-olds certainly have more of the, the reasoning mind, but they have more of a fear factor built in too. Definitely. What if I mess up? What right. if? You know, working through that and finding that you know I can mess up with division, I can mess up with my grammar, and I can mess up with like, Spanish. It's all just part of <laughs> it's part of the day because you get a lot of things right too. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, and, that's and cool. the the idea with acquiring Spanish. You know, in my experience as a Spanish instructor, is, so the definition of fluency is be, being able to express yourself spontaneously. Mm. It doesn't mean you know all the grammar rules. It doesn't mean you know all the vocabulary of Spanish. Because think about your first language of English. Do you know every vocabulary word? Of course you don't. There's still right. always more things to learn. Doesn't mean you're not fluent. Mm -hmm. right? I love that. That's so much more attainable than thinking that fluency means knowing absolutely. For me, it was always like the grammar rules and that because I'm an English person. So I always just wanted to know all that stuff. But, you know, when I when I lived in Italy and then any kind of like experience that I've had internationally, um, it's always the just like quick conversational pieces that one, they're fun. And that's really what you need to know, knowing how to ask for directions or where the bathroom is or how much something costs or how to say good morning to somebody. And thank um, you. And thank you. Yes. <laughs> Except when I lived in Italy, I always found myself saying grazie. And then I'd say thank you right after. Cause I, just, I was like, I really want you to know that I'm there. Yeah. And that's really, that, I'm so glad you said that. Um, I hope your listeners heard that clearly because that's really common, so common to when you're first acquiring a language that you know intellectually or abstractly that, you know, a sound, in other words, a word that's foreign to you <laughs> means a thing that means something in your heart, in your gut, in, yes. in your first language. Yes. But there is this disconnect of emotion, you know, and that's really key. Mm -hmm. It's really important. Um, <laughs> so when Castle, when my schools first started, when Castle Island first started, you know, I found myself in the classroom often. So I was like a long-term sub as an assistant teacher in the primary classroom. And so the teacher was giving me some lessons like, with the bead chains and doing um, multiplication. So oh, you know, I had 
like the fours and then there was two fours and three fours and then you could match them with the eight bar and with the 10 and the two bar right and of course i know i mean i i took calculus in college i'm good at math right good you know in conventional math i can do my times tables right <laughs> but i know them intellectually i can sing them to you i can you know i've memorized them yes and i know that there are some patterns intellectually i know there's some patterns with the tens with the fives obvious patterns but we were doing fours is doing fours with like a, a four or five year old child and the beats with the colors i realized that the fours have these beautiful patterns mm. which was you know inspiring to see visually and to touch with my fingers but all of a sudden my eyes started to get wet <laughs> i'm like wait whoa what's happening <laughs> like, i am not emotionally connected to multiplication why am i feeling emotional about it i was so you know, stirred by it that I got up from the child, I excused myself, I went to the lead teacher and I grabbed her hand and I squeezed it. I'm like, why am I crying about forest tables? Right? <laughs> she's like, she's so scientific. She's like, because you acquired it with one side of your brain and now you're acquiring it with the other side of your brain. And your brain has never made those connections before. They're doing it for the first time. Wow. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. My yeah. mind's just blown. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, imagine in a Montessori classroom that that's happening for children all the time, all the time. so much so that it's completely natural for them. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. So the same thing is happening for them in language acquisition, which is how our first language happened, right? We learned our first language held in the arms of some adults that loved us. Yeah. That's really important. There was eye contact and there was love. And, you know, the, whatever they said, it didn't even really matter. But we heard the tones and the words, you know, like, good morning, baby, Rachel. Look at right. you. Did you sleep well last night? Are you ready for the good dress? And it doesn't matter. But you knew that the person holding you and speaking your first language loved you. And mm. then it went on from there. It was always this undertone of love. And that emotional connection to everything that you did and felt, which was wrapped in language, became part of the fabric of who you were as you constructed yourself right and and so the language became who you were wow that's so profound and it's really true i've never really thought of it that way but if you think about because yeah i i say some phrases words things like that in english and i'm very emotionally moved so that does make sense that we learn language through love. And then, yeah, I mean, if you learn another language, yeah, Spanish is a beautiful language, but saying I love you in English and then saying I love you, is it te amo? What is it? No, mm -hmm. is it? Okay. But saying that in Spanish might not have the same meaning because it's just sort of sounds to you, you know, you, you haven't had the experiences to make those connections. Like yes. I didn't have the experience with the forest tables. Right. It didn't mean anything to me. I can yes. tell you four, eight, twelve doesn't mean anything to me. But now right. it does. Now every time I say four, eight, twelve, I see all those colors and patterns super crispy. So beautiful. And that somehow made a different emotional connection for me. I and love so that. Learning Spanish or whatever your second language is in a Montessori setting through all of those hands-on connections and personalized interactions, then it means something to yeah. me your emotional long-term memory which is still a scientific approach to acquiring stuff acquiring you know concepts skills throughout academia including language 
Yeah. Montessori. It's just, it's, I've always been struck by just the thoughtfulness of every single aspect of the materials of the environment. There's just such thought and care into every single piece. And it does, it makes all the difference in the world because then you're, you're literally experiencing, I've had very similar kind of emotional reactions to what you're talking about. And it sounds ridiculous. Cause I'm like, what, why am I like emotional about this thing for me in particular? It was, um, weirdly the grammar boxes in the, in the, and I'm a total grammar freak and I love parts of speech. And I think when I realized that, um, like the adverb or the verb or a preposition that children were going to be able to act that out, experience it. I remember just like, almost like being brought to my knees and like, Oh my God, like that's so beautiful. And so cool. I always just really liked grammar rules. Cause I thought they were fun. Mm-hmm. But this is so it's just, you know, I go back and back to this thing about Montessori. It's like experiencing knowledge, experiencing all these concepts. And it's just so beautiful. I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's almost like living more fully. Yes. In, in each acquisition. You know, yes. Pieces of grammar or of the times tables or of speaking right. language, just living more fully in it. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, this has just been so fun to just like gush and gab about Montessori and to hear about your amazing school. I just have one other question. Um, just quickly. I know it's hard to say this quickly, but if anyone's sort of thinking about even just starting to think about anything bilingual in their existing Montessori school, or perhaps they have a second language that they know and they want to incorporate it more into their classroom. Do you have any just sort of beginning thoughts that we could, we could share? Mm-hmm. So as a school director, <laughs> I think there's a foundation of the philosophy and passion and sort of the elements of the conversation we just shared together. But, um, the living, the living director me is always about logistics. Like, yes. how are we going to make this happen? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's really where I'm usually at. So if, if it were me and I had a monolingual Montessori school and I wanted to start to incorporate um, language acquisition, I would start with, you know, if, if your school starts at children's house, I would start there. If it starts with infant toddler, I would start there. Yeah. Um, because I think just like everything, it's better to start small and plant some seeds and grow from there. I would sort of glean family interest first. And, and, and you know, if there's some interest, say this is something we would like to offer. If you have more than one um, infant toddler or children's house classroom, you know, you could offer it as an option to start. Because uh-huh. I think there, there's a lot of fear in the unknown always. And so having yes. the comfort of a monolingual option and uh, language immersion options, probably a good way to transition. Um, pick a language. Right. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Spanish. And it'd be really cool that there's several Mandarin schools. Yeah. There's things as German and French schools, um, Arabic schools. Yeah. Pick a language where it's going to be practical for your community in whatever region you're in. Mm-hmm. And then Really, the simplest, easiest thing to do is to find an assistant teacher. Someone's got an associate's or a bachelor's degree. Children, you know, educational experience working with children to some degree, you know, because I and, and then can embrace Montessori philosophy, even if that means you're doing the training initially or you have a really strong lead. You need a lead teacher who's going to be into this also, right? So you'll have some conversations with that person. 
Yeah. Um, so at a minimum, let's say you get the assistant in that's a native speaker of your second language, then you know all they need to do is their regular assistant work and stay in that language. They don't need to be offering lessons or anything an assistant should not be doing, but they could definitely be saying, good morning. I like your red shirt today. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. And, and maybe reading stories before nap time or something. Or songs. Something right, like but that. definitely helping in practical life in that second language, etc. Um, and then you could go from there. Maybe that teacher, the assistant teacher gets monastery training and becomes a full-fledged co-teacher. So the dream model of Castle Island is to have co-teachers instead of a teacher and an assistant, which means our assistants still need to be trained. So we're not there yet, but um, our lead teachers have really encouraged the assistants to over time offer at least like sensorial lessons and practical life lessons. Um, some culture lessons so that there's, you know, not just the social interaction, which is a really good first step, but that there's some interaction, uh, academic instruction in the second language as well. And love then it. You see how it goes. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I love I that. It. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, just like we do with new things in the classroom, like you try it out, observe, See, see if it works and then adjust as necessary. So that's great. And then uh, something that I think is really important is to showcase the language acquisition and some of the ways that we do that for the parents, for the community, but also for the children themselves. You know, when they're showcasing their new acquisition, that helps reinforce for them. Oh, yeah, I really do know. (laughs) Right. We do a bilingual theater production every year. We do something Aww. we call Feria de Español or Spanish Fair, which is 50% spring concert of singing songs and 50% science fair, but it's 100% in Spanish. Cool. Um, so they present their, you know, their trifold science fair projects. It's all written in Spanish and presented in Spanish. So like nice. life cycle of a frog or, you know, how the water cycle works or whatever it is in, in Spanish. And cool. they sing cute little songs on the stage. But that, you know, it's really important for the, the families and the children themselves to see that I do know Spanish. I, I love that. Yeah. And they do little story retells with sequence cards, you know, just the same things that we already have in the classroom. We're not inventing anything. They can right. tell the story in Spanish. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of gives some accountability as well to children, especially as they get older. They want mm-hmm. they want to show what they're learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. I love that. Well, this has been such an awesome conversation. I have enjoyed it so much and have learned so much. So thank you so much for your time and for sharing everything. And I just hope you have the best time in Mexico. I'm super thank jealous. You. So far, so good. <laughs> Going to the Day of the Dead Market today. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. That's we so had cool. A really fun, really fun conversation. And I learned a lot as well. It's really good to share experiences and, you know, you get re- refinement and mastery through through practice and retelling. I yeah. appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Rachel. Of course. Thank you. 